Today we are continuing on in our series called Unquenched, talking about the Holy Spirit, the person and role of the Holy Spirit in us and through us as Christ's followers. And uh, the passage for today that we're going to be covering is probably second only in its fame to Pentecost, and it's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It's a very famous passage, like if you've grown up in the church, you've You've heard this passage preached on. You've probably been forced to memorize it um, and probably feel guilty that you can't achieve it. So we're going to talk about some of that um, today. And in this passage, if you're familiar with it, you know that Paul lists out several different characteristics of what he calls fleshly living, okay? This, this list of sinful things, right? And then he lists out what is like spirit living things, thing, fruit that is produced by the spirit in our lives. And it's a memorable list, and it's worthy to be memorized, and it's worthy to be meditated on and and ingrained in our minds and hearts. And it's pretty admirable. So what I'd like to do is read this. It's in Galatians 5. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there Galatians 5. If you've got a paper copy, it's like Galatians is like 80% of the way through the scriptures. Uh, You can get there. It's one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I just want to read the list first, okay? This thing that we're all probably pretty familiar with. In Galatians 5, 19, it says this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, a word you probably didn't expect to hear at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what we see in this list is is Paul saying that we shouldn't be fleshly, drunk, involved in orgies, and so on. And you probably feel pretty good about yourself, like, all right, check. Like, I'm not in that world, right? But Paul is saying on the other side that we should be loving, full of peace, kind, gentle, self-controlled, joyful, and so on. And, and who wouldn't want these things, right? Like, who wouldn't want to have more of this in your life? I mean, I would love to be more self-controlled. I would love to have more patience with people, with my family. I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love if, if knowing Jesus meant that you handled the stressful relationships in your life with your parents or your neighbor or your siblings with more love? Wouldn't it be great if knowing Jesus meant you were more self-controlled or patient with your kids or coworkers or random people that you meet? Isn't it desirable to have a peace in the midst of the stress and pain of life. And I think we all know intuitively that Christians are supposed to act in a certain way, that we're supposed to do these things, or that our relationship with Jesus should be having some kind of transformative effect in these areas of our lives. So when we come to this passage of the fruits of the Spirit, we we tend to memorize it, we focus on it, and then we beat ourselves up that we're not more like it. We have guilt because we see all the ways in which we fail to live up to this standard of the fruit of the Spirit. Or worse, we think 
If that's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, and I'm not acting like that, maybe I don't even have the Spirit. These doubts start to come in. Or we, we read it and think, I'm actually pretty good in this area, if only everybody else was, and you start to become self-righteous, and we start to put legalism on the people around us and say, you should act more like that. If you were a good, spirit-filled Christ follower, you would act more like this. And we start to pat ourselves on the back. So my hope for today is, that, is to see why the Apostle Paul was even writing this section of Galatians in the first place. And what his intentions and hopes were for the Christ followers in Galatia, where this letter went, and what his hopes and intentions are for us. And then from there, I think we'll start to have a clearer picture of how it is that the fruit of the Spirit comes to be exhibited in our lives, how it starts to come out of us. That the combination of, hear me now, the combination of intentional belief and intentional behavior brings transformation. And the fruit of the Spirit starts to come to bear in a Christ follower's life. And in so doing, we start to live out the law of love that Jesus came to live out and to give us, of loving God and loving neighbor, partnering with the Spirit in his new works of creation and redemption like we've been talking about all along. So the outline for today really goes belief into behavior. And this is something that the Apostle Paul writes about in most of his letters. It's know who you are and then know what comes out of that and how you act and behave. So to grasp what Paul is driving at in regards to the fruit of the Spirit, we have to back further upstream into looking at sort of Paul's theology and the overall context of this letter to the Galatians. So here's what you need to know about this letter. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to his friends in various churches in the area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. He had visited there on missionary journeys, and he had shared the gospel with them. This was his call from God to go and minister to the Gentile world the non-Jews of the world, and tell them about the Messiah, Jesus. They were, so understand, they were not Jewish. They didn't follow Jewish customs. They were probably viewed as unclean by the Jewish people around them. Not probably, they were. They were viewed as unclean by the Jewish people around them, and even more so, strangely enough, by the Jewish background believers around them as well. But Paul was called to minister to them, and so he does. He goes and he brings them the gospel that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, that he had lived a perfect life, that he had been crucified on a cross, and that he had risen victoriously, justified by God, proved, vindicated, and and right, and that all his promises and commands were true, and that he would, and he, he would give the Spirit, Jesus would give the Spirit that raised him from the dead to all those who would believe in him, Jew and Gentile alike. And believe these Galatian churches did. They came on alive for Jesus and on fire. They came to faith. They were free of legalism, free of, of all the, the, the religious stuff that the Jewish background believers would try to put on them. They're trusting in Jesus alone to be their transformation, that by his spirit he would lead them into more and more freedom. But then something happens. Something happens to these Galatian churches that Paul gets wind of. After being Christ followers for a little while, some folks come into their midst and start telling them that they're not true Christ followers, they're not good Christ followers, unless they start putting on this external behavior. Unless they start doing all this other stuff. These, these, these laws and this legalism they need to adhere to. And, and primarily, one of the things they're really concerned about was circumcision. Which, I don't know what that means for the female believers amongst them, but like for some reason they were so upset about this, they wanted to make sure that these Jewish background Believers were coming in. They wanted to make sure that the Gentile believers were going to act like good Jews. And they were going to live into this promise of the Old Testament that they would be circumcised and they would be God's people. And these Gentile believers start being led astray by this. And they're thinking, well, maybe we need to do this. Maybe we don't really have it right. Maybe we need to do more to please God. 
And they start to become convinced of this, and they start to be led astray. So think about now what Paul says about belief, okay? Keeping this, this concept of belief in mind and what he does in response to what he's seeing and hearing. When he gets wind of this legalism that's starting to creep into the Galatian churches, he writes them a pretty strongly worded letter. So understand, this, this, was, this was a letter. It didn't have chapters in it. It didn't have notations, no numbers, no study notes. It was a letter that was showed up by land or sea, probably by a courier, to these churches in Galatia, and it was meant to be read, read aloud in a setting like this, where believers of Galatia would be gathered together, and they would read this letter from their friend Paul. And it is a strongly worded letter in which he goes after them for this legalism they're falling into. In the six, it has six chapters, of which the first four Paul is unloading about how this external legalism is useless and that it's not the gospel. That they've been bewitched, he says. That they've actually, they're deserting the faith and that the people preaching legalism are worthy to be condemned. This is how strongly he feels about this. And Paul will not stand for anything being added to the gospel of Jesus that says simply, God loves you, Jesus' death redeems you and saves you, And the spirit of resurrection gives you new life. End of story. That's the gospel. And he says nothing should be added to that. And all of that comes by belief or by faith. Which I would argue, Paul says, isn't even your own work. It's the work of the spirit in you that even opens your eyes to see new life as a possibility. It's all about the spirit bringing new life through the gospel. And in the letter that Paul, Paul lays out that the Galatians and all Christ followers have the Spirit. That they have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. That they were crucified with Christ, and it's no longer them that lives. It's Christ living in them. And that there is no need to add external behavior to receive the Spirit of new life, like these Jewish background believers were telling them they needed to do. He's trying to confirm for them that the Spirit is already indwelling in them, and new life is already at work in them, and there's nothing else they need to do. So particularly in chapter 3, Paul kind of goes after this a little bit, and he's making it very clear that we receive the Spirit by believing and by faith. There's no need for these external behaviors. If if you want to turn turn to chapter 3, right at the very beginning, listen how strongly he feels about this, and listen to the argument he's laying out about belief. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. He's like, tell me one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, by doing these legalistic things, or did you receive it by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, after starting with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you do these external things? Or does he give you the spirit and work miracles among you because you believe what you heard? Do you see the argument that he's laying out here? This is all about believing what they had heard, believing the gospel of freedom that they had heard from Paul. And he's saying that's the only way that you receive the spirit. There's nothing else that you would add to it. He asks, so he's asking, why in the world would you add legalism back on top of this? Why would you add that back into this? This is foolish, he says. So up to this point, in the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul is telling the Galatian churches this. He's saying, by faith and belief 
alone. They are called and loved by God. They are heirs of God's future blessings. They are adopted children of God with full rights as children who can call him Abba. They can call him Dad. They can have this closeness with God. It's the same thing he says in the book of Romans. That they are filled with the Spirit and they are a witness to God's miracles. They are children of Abraham, meaning they've been grafted into the promises of the Old Testament. They don't need to listen to these Jewish background believers. They're already in. They have been grafted into the promises of Abraham. That they're no longer slaves to sin or legalism. That they're living as opposed to dying. And that they are free, free, free. So Paul is telling them, believe this. Trust this. Have faith in this. Believe that you're an adopted son or daughter of God. Believe that you are loved by God. Believe that you are an heir to the kingdom. Believe that you are no longer a slave to sin and death. Consider your body dead to sin, he says. But consider it alive by the spirit to righteousness. Enjoy that you don't have to do anything to enjoy the presence of God. And the goodness of God in your life. Because it's already living inside of you by the spirit. Church, this is true for us today. As true as it was to the Galatian churches 2,000 years ago. That there's nothing we need to add back in on top of uh, the, the spirit and the gospel to receive new life and closeness with God. Nothing needs to be added into that. And it makes a difference in our lives when we believe that. It leads to transformation. Jess and I had a friend a couple years ago. Uh, we got to minister to her over the course of, of several years. She had battled depression and, and suicidal thoughts for many years. And most likely it stemmed from a really rough upbringing, a, a, a dad that, that didn't love her well, uh, parents that spoke hurtful and abusive language and threatened her. And it, it just made her kind of a shell of a person. And it led her down a path of looking for acceptance and searching for love and physical affection from, from other women, which led to more abuse, more pain and self-loathing. And this cycle continues. But over time, like I said, we got to, to minister. Jess primarily got to disciple her and, and work with her and, and process things with her and got to share with her that she was an accepted and loved child of God. That she was loved as she was and that she was beautiful and that she was a princess of the God of the universe. That she could have confidence again because the Spirit of God was indwelling her and at work in her. And as she started to believe this, you could see the transformation start to happen literally in her body and in her face. As she started to have a little bit more light in her countenance. She had more joy visible as she would go about. She still struggled with being confident all the time and, and struggled with self-doubt, of course, right? It's not an overnight transformation like that. But it started to change her visibly, emotionally, relationally. She had confidence to end relationships that were, were unhelpful, have boundaries with her family. All because she started to believe who she was as a child of God. You see, the belief starts to bring transformation. Belief in who we are as children of God and the freedom of that brings transformation to us. But here's what's interesting to me about her situation. At the same time that she's being discipled by us and learning about her freedom in the gospel, she was also uh, involved in another uh, church and another ministry where she was getting so much legalism and so much guilt poured into her. They were saying, you shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't act like that, you sinful person. This is not what God expects of you. You should be behaving differently. You should be behaving differently. And it starts that cycle, again, of self-doubt, of I'm not good enough. 
Do you see the difference here? This is why Paul's saying, why would you go back into a system of legalism in which you're being told why you're doing everything wrong when the gospel says you're free? You are a loved child of God. You inherit the kingdom. You have it now. The spirit is living in you. He gives you new life. This old way is death. The new way is life. Don't get into that cycle of trying to, you know, uh, put all this legalism onto you. And it's such, just such a clear picture to me of how the gospel leads to freedom. The Spirit wants this for you, church, today. Whether you've been a Christ follower for years or you don't even know if you are yet, the Spirit wants this for you. And this is why Paul was writing it. So do you believe that? Do you believe that you are free? Do you feel this? Do you experience this in your daily life, in the stressful situations, in the good situations? Do you, do you feel like you're free? Do you feel like you need to do more to make God love you? Do you feel like you need to add things back in to make sure you're close with God? If you don't feel that or you're not sure you believe that, and even if you do, you could always use more of this, may I encourage you to maybe meditate, and I mean that, look, read passages of Scripture and dwell on them. Focus on them. Read them over and over again, particularly Romans 5 to 8. I just read that and I soaked in that over and over again this week. Romans 5 to 8, and you get to see Paul's heart for the gospel, and you get to see God's heart for you and for me, that he loves us and he wants us to be free. Meditate on that. May I encourage you to be honest with someone in this church that you're not experiencing this. It doesn't need to be me. It doesn't need to be Adam. It can be a fellow Christ follower here. It can be somebody in your community group. If you're not in one, can I encourage you to join one where you can walk in vulnerability like this, where you can share your struggles with believing who you are in Jesus. Because church, the Spirit loves you, and he is at work in all who call him Lord. And belief in the gospel changes you, not legalism. Belief in the gospel and who you are changes you not any of this external law. However, Paul always transitions from, transitions from belief to then what the belief causes to come out of us in our behavior. Okay, so understand this. Belief first leads to things that start to come out of us, not to add God's favor back on top of us, but because the Spirit's at work in us causing it to happen. So similar to Romans 5 to 8, which I've already encouraged you to read, Paul transitions now in Galatians from belief to behavior. And he's saying, you've been freed from, okay, you've been freed from all of this, but you've been freed to this over here. It's not just to run amok and do whatever we want. So, if you have your scriptures, look at Galatians 5.1 with me. With all this in mind, all of Paul's theology in mind in Romans and Galatians lead up to, in my mind, lead up to 5 verse 1. He says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. By the slavery of flesh, by the slavery of legalism, he's saying you have been set free to be free. Then in verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Those external things don't matter at all. The only thing that counts is faith or belief. But then listen to what he says. Expressing itself through love. It's this faith that starts to turn itself out into love. And then in verse 13, you, my brothers, my sisters, my churches, you were called to be free. But, my father-in-law would always say, this is the big but of the passage, okay? But, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Now, to hear the behavior part start to come out of the freedom, to come out of the belief. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, Serve one another in love. 
Don't indulge in sinful nature. Serve one another in love. This is very similar to Romans 6 where Paul says, consider yourselves, count yourselves dead to sin. So belief. Believe that you are dead to sin. And then he goes on in a verse later to say, but don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You hear it. It's a belief that we then say, okay, I'm dead to sin. I don't need to live that way anymore. And it transitions into other behaviors that start to come out of us. What Paul is saying here in Galatians, and he says the same thing in Romans, is that they are freed from legalism and slavery to sin and death, and they are freed from the slavery to flesh and the sin nature. But they are freed to live out the spirit nature. They become slaves to righteousness. And what Paul says in Romans 6.23 is the same exact argument. If you live by the ways of the flesh, if you want to live by them, if you want to live by legalism and live by trying to you know, contain the flesh all the time, it only leads to condemnation and death. He says, rather, go live according to the spirit that lives in you. If you live by the spirit, it leads to life. Church, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever memorized Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you look at what Paul's talking about there, he's saying the wages of our mortal body doing sinful things is death. And I would say he's talking about physically now. That it leads to death and pain and struggle now. And he says, but the gift of God is full life now. It's not just eternity that he's talking about. He's saying you've been freed from this. You can have full life now. That is the gift of God. So Paul goes on from here talking about what our behavior should look like as a result of having the Spirit dwelling in us. In light of believing all the promises he's just laid out, he says, don't now abuse your freedom and do all sorts of silly stuff that leads to death. Go live according to the spirit that lives in you. And what does that look like? He says there in chapter 5, he says, the law of the Old Testament being fulfilled. That's what it looks like, the law of love, of loving God and loving neighbor, he says in verse 13 and 14. Do you see it, church? He's saying when you live this way, it brings life, and it starts to be loving towards the people around you. So now... Read with me what it looks like with the fruit of the Spirit again. Verse 22 of chapter 5. He says, this Spirit living in you, no longer going along with legalism and the fleshly things, look at what the Spirit does. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. There's nothing to say you can't do any of this. This is what it looks like to live in the Spirit. This is not just the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of belief, Paul is saying. And he's not trying to lay out a bunch of do's and don'ts. Okay? I know I have been, I have been taught that. I have taught myself that. He's not laying out a list of do's and don'ts for legalism's sake. It's the argument that Paul is always making. When you live for the flesh, it's painful and leads to death now and forever. When you live to please an external legalism, it's constant condemnation and slavery. But when the Spirit is living in you and you live by His energy, by His power and motivation, you find life and life eternal. So are there behaviors and a type of life that we're called to? Certainly. But here's the thing. When you believe in the gospel of Jesus, those uh, behaviors and that lifestyle that it now dwells, literally dwells inside of you by the Spirit. And what's even crazier to me is that Paul says that the law and the old way of legalism, is actually fulfilled in you as well. This, to me, is one of the craziest things I've ever read in Paul. 
Turn, if you have it, turn with me to Romans 8. This is a... I mean, if there's, if there's a passage of Scripture to dwell on and meditate on, pick Romans 8. Okay? This passage is unbelievable. Listen to what Paul says about the old way of doing things, who Jesus was and who we are. Just starting in verse 1. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by, my sinful, by the sinful nature, the law wasn't able to do it. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in it doesn't say in Jesus. He says so that the righteous requirements of the law might fully be met in us. This is an unbelievable transformation that happens because of Jesus' death on the cross. He gets condemned. We get to fulfill the law by the power of his spirit. It's an incredible transformation. That, we, that the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, I would say you Romans, you Gentiles, you Galatians, you of Hope Alliance Bethlehem are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, which he does. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Paul is laying out some incredible things here, but did you catch what he's saying? The law could not set me free. It always condemned. I could not meet its requirements. It always condemned me. But the Spirit set me free. And now the righteous requirements of the law that I never could fill, I can now fulfill through the Spirit. I can now do what was required of me by the power of the Spirit working in me. Do you understand the ramifications of this? The Spirit of God wants to fulfill the law of love. The Spirit wants to glorify Jesus and the Father, and he will and does in you. He will and he does in me. Friends, it's not you that brings about the behaviors of the fruit of the Spirit. It's just not. It's not you that motivates yourself. It's Jesus himself, by his Spirit living in you, that motivates and energizes you to do these good works, Paul says. It's nothing that you can self-motivate your way into. He's saying, that's the old way of doing it, and it never worked. It only condemned me. Paul says, he has given you eyes to see, to believe by his spirit. Now he'll help you live. He is faithful to finish what he started. You started by belief, keep going in belief in the spirit. It's so critically important to understand this. On, on my staircase at home, uh, on the risers going up, Jess put... Uh, the fruits of the Spirit going up. And 
I was thinking how they, they are good reminders. Uh, I often have a tendency to skip over some, maybe. I don't know if that's subconscious or what I'm doing there. But I think, you know, they are a good reminder of what it looks like to live in the Spirit. But I was thinking about how probably on the landing of the steps down at the bottom, before you can get up the steps, we should have like another verse. Something from Romans 8 that says, you're not the one that does this. This is the Spirit working in you. Remember that as you move towards these. It's the Spirit that motivates you and guides you and brings you into the fruit of the Spirit. Church, the whole reason this fruit of the Spirit passage is here is because Paul's saying we haven't been set free so we can go and do whatever we want. And that's what moralists and legalists fear. That's what they fear the most, that we've, we've been set free and we can go and do and, and live life to the fullest by walking in the Spirit. But what legalists fear is that we're going to go and we're just going to go crazy. We're going to do whatever we want. We're free. We can get drunk. We can do, okay. Like, no, he's saying, no, that, that's not what we do by the power of the Spirit. We go and we look like Jesus because the Spirit is at work in us. And in your freedom, in your freedom in the gospel, you are going to run into people who think you need more legalism in your life. You look too free. I don't like it. It's a bunch of baloney. Sorry, you've been set free in the gospel, but because the Spirit's at work in you, you're going to look like Jesus. You can trust that. Don't worry about them. They can find that out on their own, or you can show them and tell them. It'd be nice if you did. Okay. If you believe by the Spirit, then go and behave by the Spirit in intentional ways. So which is it? Is it belief? Is it intentional behaviors? I think it's both. I think it's belief that leads to behaviors, that leads to transformation. And This is not a perfect analogy, so whatever. Do with it what you want, but what I picture is is a rowboat. Have you ever been in a rowboat before? You know how difficult they are to operate? Like, they they look so peaceful when you see, like, old movies, but they're, they're a pain to operate, okay? Get a motor, you're gone, all right? Rowboats, like, picture, picture you're in, in, in this boat, and you were in a sinking rowboat called Sin and Law, Sin and Legalism. Sin and condemnation. And the Spirit rescued us from that. Rescued you from that and put you in a different boat altogether. Put you in a boat called full life and freedom in the gospel. But if you think about it, there are two oars in your hands. And one oar, on one oar is written the word belief. And on the other oar is written behavior. And there are times when you've got to row behavior a little bit more. You got to say, hey, you know what, because of who I am, I'm going to put some boundaries up in my life so I have more self-control. Okay, that's fine, but it's based on belief. And there's times when you just got to believe more because, you know what, I, I can't do any of this. Spirit, I believe I'm a son or daughter of God, help me. But it's this, it's together. It's working together, moving. But here's the thing. In my mind, the Spirit is there rowing with you. And when you're tired, he's rowing. When you can't do anything, He's rowing. You can't even see it or sense it. He's rowing. He's singing songs over you, Scripture says. He's telling you of the great destination and the hope that we have ahead in Jesus. Rowing when you can't. Calling out what side needs more. Maybe work on this this week. Maybe process this this week. I said said to Jess when I was prepped for this, I picture him also like, you ever seen the Carlton dance on Fresh Prince? Yeah, if this helps you remember this, this is great. In my mind, my job is done. He's behind you doing the Carlton. He's super excited for you. He's singing over you. He's energizing you. He's, he's happy. He's saying, hey, keep going. Keep going. I'm with you. Remember, Carlton, okay? 
It's going to stick now. You can look it up. Uh, he's encouraging you, saying, I'm with you in this. I'm, with, I'm the one who's motivating you to do this in the first place. You can persevere. I will bring you life-sustaining energy. You can persevere. So how do you live by the Spirit, as Paul says? How do you stay in step with the Spirit? How do you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit? I think it's a combination of believing who we are and then behaving likewise. Church, you get to believe that you are a rich child of God with authority over sin. I think it's important to remember that, that we have authority over sin. You are no longer a slave to it, and you don't have to give in to it. I'm not saying you will be 100% able to do this all the time, but you don't have to anymore. You don't have to be afraid of it. You are forgiven and loved. Believing that is actually a miraculous gift of the Spirit in the first place. You get to believe that legalism brings death. That accusation and guilt are of the devil. And that full life is found in living like Jesus. You can believe that. You can count on that. You get to believe that you can admit weakness. You can admit that you are weak. You can confess sin to one another. You can ask others to walk with you and have faith for you when you can't. And that starts to lead to behavior. You get to behave like Jesus. You understand he came and he models for us what perfect humanity and full life looks like, and we get to have it. We get to behave like that with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fulfillment of the law of love. And you get to have that full life. You get to behave like Jesus in suffering, doing these things. Unfortunately, this is part of our journey, is suffering like Jesus when we do these things and we don't receive the great rewards that we would like to from those around us. And in that is a mysterious, ever-deepening union with Jesus and the Spirit that just motivates us more and more. It gives us, that's the peace that passes understanding, is knowing that I'm with Jesus and he is with me. And it's unmatched by anything legalism can offer. You get to behave by living out the law of love by the power of the Spirit. And it doesn't make you self-righteous. It gives you more and more humility, like Paul says, because you realize how weak you are. You realize that, like Romans 7, like 1 Corinthians, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Jesus will. We don't get a big head about it. We admit we are weak. And we get to live in the humility of the Spirit. And ultimately, God gets the glory. Church, do you see it? This is why Paul was so adamant about believing nothing but the gospel for the Galatians. Jesus plus nothing. And when we believe that, the Spirit dwells in us and produces the fruit that he has always wanted to produce. Fruit that gives full and eternal life. Fruit that glorifies Jesus for the fruit of redemption and new creation. And when we walk in step with that, we start to partner with the Spirit. We partner with what he's doing in being agents of of creation and redemption everywhere that we go. And here's the great truth in all of this. I'll wrap by saying this. The great truth in all of this is that you will mess it up. You're not perfect yet. We have not been fully made perfect in Jesus. But remember, when we mess up, Romans 8 says, we are not condemned. Jesus is the judge, and he doesn't look at us with condemnation. He looks at us and says, I love you. You are a co-heir with me of the kingdom. Be forgiven quickly and move on. When we're weak, we are prayed for by the Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8. 
When we don't know what to do, you know, the Spirit is praying for you. Asking God to give you the strength that you need to keep going. He's praying for you when you don't know what to say to that person you're not getting along with. He's praying for you when when you don't know how to handle a situation at work. He's praying for you when your kids are driving you crazy. And he's saying, I'll give this to you. Even though you don't know what to say and you're weak, I will give it to you. And when we are weak and we struggle, we remember that we are adopted as a child. And we have a father who we can call dad. Despite the crappy relationships we might have around us that might be bringing us pain, we have one that is life-sustaining and never changes. Where we can go to for fulfillment. Our dad loves us and won't turn us away. Church, the Spirit is calling you to a deeper and deeper full life and to fulfill and live out the law of life, the law of love. He wants this for you. And by his energy and power, you can believe the promises of God and behave accordingly, exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit one little bit at a time. Pastor Adam says this pretty regularly, and and it's so true, that someday we will be able to look at the arc of our lives a long stretch of our lives, and see better and clearly the transformation that has happened. Okay? We need to give ourselves a little bit of slack sometimes and say, I'm not going to change everything overnight. Take a little bit of time to step back and say, who, I, who was I five years ago? Who was I when I didn't know Jesus at all? How, how patient am I? Maybe I'm still really impatient, but am I more patient than I was five years ago? You know what I mean? Like, process the bigger picture of your life, and take heart that the Spirit is at work in all who call him Lord, and energizing them to bring out the fruits of the Spirit to the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now we come to you and proclaim that you are here in our midst, you are dwelling inside of us. And we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would motivate us to believe more and more who we are as children of God. And that in so believing that, you would motivate us and give us the energy to behave accordingly. Not to add anything back into the gospel, not to add legalism, not for guilt's sake, but because we believe that there's full life in living peacefully. There is full life in having joy. There is full life in being self-controlled. Would you do that? We can't do it. Like Paul says, we are weak. We need you to be strong. Spirit, would you pray for us? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? And would we be a church who lives in the freedom of the gospel, not for our own sake, but for Jesus' sake, making him known by living out the law of love in this valley and sharing the fruits of the Spirit and the kingdom with the people we meet and bringing more and more people into knowledge of your love. Jesus, I feel particularly strong about this, that that we are going to encounter people who want to put legalism on us. Would you give us the, the ability to speak love and grace in response? And when we try to put legalism on ourselves, would you give us the ability to refute it and say, no, 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 I am free in the gospel. Jesus, walk with us by your spirit in the coming days ahead. Help us become more and more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.